Pocketbook economics has once again come to dominate the national conversation as escalating prices, rising interest rates, and an aggressively competitive China has made many nervous about the future. Today, we hear from Congressman Vern Buchanan, the Ways and Means Chair of the Healthcare Subcommittee and a pillar of fiscal policy in Congress, whose American dream story continues to inspire everyone who asks only for a chance to be a part of it. From Ballard Studios in Washington, it's 13th and Park. The future doesn't belong to the faint heart. There is not a liberal America and a conservative America. There is the United States of America. We will make America strong again. We will get through this together. I can hear you. The rest of the world hears you. And the people who knock these buildings down will hear all of us soon. Vern, welcome to the show. You know, it feels like yesterday that the two of us were sitting down, I think over lunch, to talk about your idea of running for Congress. And of course, my best advice, I think at the table, was hire Max Goodman, who was just coming out of college at that point, and probably the best advice I've ever given you. Well, there's no question about that. I mean, I remember like yesterday, you said, I got a great guy, fantastic, (laughs) a lot of talent, because we were looking for the first hire we wanted to put together. Then you said, you've got the perfect person, ended up being your brother, and he's been with me from day one. Your life story is the proverbial American dream story. You grew up of modest means. You worked very hard. You started in business as a small businessman and entrepreneur. And from there, with your boots on the ground and your eyes on the stars, you went at it. Tell us about why that, Vern, is so important now in America. Well, let me just say, you know, starting out as a blue-collar kid, one of six kids. My parents both worked in the factories back in the Detroit area. A lot of people did. They were good-paying jobs at the time. But you don't know that you're poor, this, that, or whatever. We just had a very supportive, loving family, so that made a big difference. But I do remember my father saying to me, I said to him one time, Dad, why do you work afternoons? I was the oldest of six kids. He said, I make an extra dime an hour. And I just remember emotionally how that touch me back then. But at that time, I knew I just wanted to do more to help the family and everything else. And uh, one thing led to another. It's first to my family go to college and get a degree. And then I started with a big company, realized I didn't like that. And I ended up buying a franchise. I wanted to be a franchise owner, a business owner. And to me, the American dream is about ownership in an enterprise. So I started with that. And one of my first clients I had, I did sales training, market management training, was had a couple of printing stores. I went to him, talked him into converting that to a different name, Speedy Printing. Went from two stores to 800 stores, 44 states, Canada and Europe. I sold it to Merrill Lynch in the late 89, 90, and then moved out of Detroit down to Florida and got into the car business. Didn't know if I'd like it or not, but bought a couple of cars in Ocala and that ended up being 23, 24 dealerships. So I tell people only in America can you start with nothing and have something. And then that's about the time where I had an opportunity to Catherine Harris, you remember her? Oh yeah. She decided to run for the Senate, opened up a seat. I've always was in a position in my life at that point where I've made more than I'll ever spend. So I thought it's a great opportunity to try to give something back. I didn't want to have any regrets. So I decided to run, I ran. I won by 369 votes and uh, never looked back. 
That's when you and I met. You were, helped me get to that victory, and others did. And here I am. 369 votes. So anyone who tells you every vote doesn't count, they should look at that race. As I remember, it wasn't decided on election night or the day after, or even I think the week after. It took a while to get there, didn't it? Yeah, well, they said the machines didn't work. My opponent sued me, sued the, you know, the supervisor, election, secretary <laughs> of state, sued everybody. But after about a period of 18 months, it actually got finalized. One thing I found out, especially in this business, they don't like a sore loser. We went from 369 votes to 67,000 votes. But I had a lot of friends and people helping me, and we were able to get our story out there about what we wanted to try to do. And my focus has always been on small business, startups, entrepreneurship, trying to do everything we can. Because I think that's the key. Every business, when you think about it in America, usually starts as a small business and then builds up over a time. That was my experience. We created over 5,000 jobs in basically 30 years. So this talk small business, which obviously is the biggest engine in creating new jobs in America. It has been for a long time. Actually, small business, Vern, there is a Pew Research poll that comes out every year rating institutions in terms of public confidence. Small business being number one. Can America do more than it's already doing to allow more people? and that are entrepreneurs or into small business to succeed? Yeah, I think the big thing is I'm on the Ways and Means Committee as a former tax chairman on the committee. But one of the things is try to keep the taxes low so they can keep more of what they earn. Hmm. I want to make one point about your saying the small business. We had a chamber here, Chamber of Commerce I chaired before I got into Congress, and we had about 2,600 businesses. Most of those businesses, 95%, had 25 or 50 employees or less. Hmm. That's who we are, not just here, but across the country. So the goal is, how do we help these businesses be more successful? And that's been a lot of my focus in terms of the tax code, trying to eliminate frivolous lawsuits and trying to help people get to the next level with financing and banking. And one of the big things I always tell people, if you want to be in business for yourself and not by yourself, One good way to go is through franchising. I bought a franchise I mentioned early on, but I put close to a thousand people in business for themselves Mm. through franchising effort. I didn't have a lot of money to start our business. We actually started with $1,500, but that grew into a big business. And that's why I'm saying it's so critical about what small business does and can do. Was there a moment as you're an entrepreneur, you're young, everything's uncertain, nothing yet is made. Was there a moment that really tested you that you always think to and say, you know what, it was tough, but I found a way to to learn from that. And maybe that helped me get to where I actually ended up. Yeah, I think it's the power of expectation, the power of visualizing. I can't explain it, but I've always been very big on the power of goal setting, planning, you know, 40 years ago. Mm. And and many of those things that I've set my mind to, I got done. Many people, I think they don't accomplish half of what they could do or a third of what they could do because they react to everything instead of being proactive. Mm. As a CEO, I was always the outside guy. You know, they say that, you know, the the leader is the keeper of the vision. Mm. And so I tried to have a vision and attract and and take care of a lot of people and build an organization. But I really respect the idea, the power of expectation, the power of, you know, having a plan and and working that plan. And that's been the success. That's why I've created two big businesses. 
and then even getting into politics. You know, I never thought I'd do that, but I an opportunity opened up, and then here I am 16, 17 years later. Tell us, you know, obviously there was a lot of press and focus in this country not long ago on raising the debt ceiling. And once again, it seemed we came to the deadline day practically with a sort of Damocles kind of hanging over the nation's head and, and the world's, frankly, by extension. Is there anything that we can do differently or better moving forward so we don't always put ourselves on that precipice at the very last second? Well, everybody has a reason why they run for Congress. And I was concerned back when I first got in that the Bush administration ran a $130 billion deficit, as I recall. That was one of the bigger motivators. So the first week I got into Congress and every new Congress I've been in, I file a constitutional balanced budget amendment. You simply don't spend more than you take in. In the last 20 years, we've spent $20 trillion over our budget in terms of deficit spending. So I think we need a constitutional balanced budget amendment, just like 49 out of 50 governors have. Now, I remember going through the 80s, a lot of leverage. At some point, it ends badly. And that's why on this last debt deal, usually I try to be with the team. I told them I just could not go there anymore. And I voted against that. We need to address the problem. And a lot of it is, is dealing with entitlements and everything else. But everything needs to be on the table. We need to be dealing with that right now because if we don't at some point with 31 trillion going quickly to 35 trillion it's going to end badly and that's why at some point you become more and more insolvent you become weak and the chinese they're a big time competitor and there's a lot of questions about how they operate but at the end of the day we can beat them but we got to be smart about it in terms of commerce and what we're trying to do Are we getting any smarter about how to have a relationship with China? We just saw the the recent trip from uh, Secretary of State Blinken to meet with the chairman, and they did the normal photo ops, et cetera. But is there real progress there? And if there isn't, are we really maybe moving to a very dangerous place, Vern, in terms of our relations with China and China's relations with the world? Well, I met with a lot of the leaders in Asia, been to 80, 80, 85 countries over the years, traveled there with Paul Ryan. And in that part of the world, they all say the same thing. And these are the prime ministers of the presidents of these various countries. They got to work with China. They don't trust China, but they're in the neighborhood. So they've got to finesse that. And they want America and the U.S. to get more involved and build those relationships with a lot of these countries there. So I think we can beat China, but we just got to make sure that we free up a lot of our operators and things here and abroad make a big difference. So there's a lot of challenges today, but I think we'll clearly overcome them. It's hopefully sometime in the future in terms of commerce and everything else. Well, you're someone who really understands fiscal and financial policy. We focus a lot on this show off and on in the last couple of months on the continent of Africa and the relative kind of lack of investment, I think, that America has made in the last 20, 25 years versus China, Russia, and others, and how we're kind of losing ground. Should we revisit that and be even more involved in a continent that many people believe has a lot to do with the future of this planet? Yeah, I think the bottom line, a lot of people don't realize I've been to Africa many, many times. It's over a billion people now in Africa in terms of the planet. And the Chinese are very active and engaged there in terms of minerals and everything else. And like I said, China is very, very active. They're building roads and building buildings. And I know we do make a lot of investments. But again, at the end of the day, 
we've got to stay focused and very active and engaged there. So you are the chairman of a group established by government called the House Democracy Partnership, which is there to promote democracy around the world. What is your perspective on America's standing in the world? How does the world see us today or needs to see us moving forward that will put us in a position of advantage, competitive advantage, as we are involved in a global competition for top honors? Yeah, there's about 22 countries we work with, and it's kind of the, we say, ballots over bullets. We're pushing democracy. It's something they want in their part of the world. Ukraine's one of our member countries, and they're very, very concerned about what's going on. I've been there multiple times, and I can just tell you that we're trying to work with them and get them through this process. But as you mentioned, Africa, the other places, Kenya is one of our countries that we work with. They very much want to get a free trade agreement and uh, be more engaged with us in that part of the world. And so I think there's a lot of opportunities, but everybody would like to have more say in their government, have a bigger impact. And the best way to do that is democracy. And that's what we're trying to promote, not just in Africa, but Ukraine and everywhere else. I had one MP tell me in Ukraine, in fact, to get back on that a little bit, that Mm -hmm. most of the stuff that they receive information is misinformation. So they don't know what the truth is. And we've got some of that going on in our own country, but a lot of different parts of the world. And we've got to find a way to address that. So going back into the Vern Buchanan story for a second, a lot is known about you now, Vern. But probably very little was known about your roots and growing up. And you talked a little bit about that in the beginning. I want to play a clip from a short film that Max Goodman produced that frankly surprised a lot of people because people learned a lot about you they didn't already understand. Fabian, let it roll. Vern Buchanan was one of six kids growing up in this 900-square-foot home. He delivered newspapers during the day while his dad drove a school bus and worked the assembly line at night just to put a little extra on the table. Vern would serve his country in the Air National Guard and be the first in his family to graduate college, all before pursuing his dream of owning his own business. Well, that was part of a hell of a film, Vern, uh, done by Max. And I know you don't like to talk about yourself, but what would people be most surprised to learn about you, whether it's going way back or even in the here and now, that kind of makes you tick in the way you see things? I think uh, people would be pretty shocked because they only see me in the last 10 or 20 years of being successful. But, you know, I had great family and great faith. I had a great mentor that changed my thinking, frankly, and changed my life. A lot of people don't know that my mentor happened to be an eighth degree black belt Mm. in Taekwondo. And he changed a lot of the way I thought about things in terms of expectation and the magic of believing he kind of got me to a point wherever I put my mind to, I was able to make a difference. And America is a very special place. I, like I said, I've been to 85 countries in the world and there's nothing like America. I don't think I could have accomplished near what I did, you know, without being in America. So that's why I do what I do. I try to fight and try to make a difference. Anything's possible, but you got to believe that. You've got to have vision. You've got to be able to you know, affirm that, and it will become a reality in America. See, that should be a unifying idea, right? The American dream. And yet we live in a country today that is politically very divided and a feeling of unrest. 
Is it more difficult for you to be able to share the concept of the American dream with those who have yet to fulfill it for themselves in an environment where it seems more difficult to achieve? People are hungry for it today, probably more than ever. They want to be told that it's still very possible, and I think it is. I always tell people I put a 1,000 people in business for themselves, and there's a lot of franchise opportunities. People say, well, I've never been in business. I don't know how to do business. But if that's something you want to do, you set that up as a 5, 10-year goal and start working towards that, and that'll very much become a reality. And uh, as I said earlier, every big business starts out as a little business, and it's unlimited. We have a huge market in the U.S., the best market, and it just gets better every day. So do you have any unsolicited advice for Fed Chairman Powell, who fortunately the Fed held rates where they are, but suggested they may go a little bit higher? Do you think they're doing what needs to be done to kind of rein in the results of the massive spending? I do think they're trying to do what they think's right, but they got started way too early. There's too much free money out there and virtually free money. And then, of course, what the Biden administration did by putting trillions of dollars in the marketplace, the combination really spiked the inflation. But I'm, I remember as a young person in business, and, and maybe you remember back at that time in the early 80s, where we had almost 18, 19 percent uh, interest rates. It was devastating. But along came Reagan. A lot of that got changed, and we're off to the races. So you're now the chairman of the key healthcare subcommittee on Ways and Means, probably the most influential committee on health in Congress. You talk a lot, Vern, about preventive medicine. Tell us about that. Well, I think we're spending $4.3 trillion a year in terms of what we're spending in hospitalization and healthcare and everything else. And as a society in general, it's just getting sicker. Take obesity rates for even children or adults was at 10, 15, 20%. Now it's close to 40%. So I just think we had to focus more on preventative care and help educate people in terms of lifestyle. Diet and exercise goes a long way. I realize some things are genetic. And then the other thing is, is we've got to find a way to drive down the cost of healthcare, bend the curve on healthcare. President Obama talked about that, but the reality of it is just skyrocketed. And the thing that's so concerning that nobody picks up on is that who's picking up a lot of the cost? Right. It's not just small business, but families. I know my first 20 years in business, Blue Cross Blue Shield, for all our employees, we paid for everything and everybody. And then the last, say, 10 or 15 years, you know, the employee many times is picking up six, seven, eight hundred dollars a month for a family of four. They didn't have that cost wow. before. So that's why a lot of families are struggling paycheck to paycheck because they're dealing with a cost. In small businesses, maybe their cost at one time for a family of four was 500, now it's 1800. I've run into families where they're paying, small business people are paying $3,000 a month for a family of four, 36,000 a year. So we've got to find out realistically how to bend the curve on that. We need more competition in healthcare, more transparency. That would make a huge difference. But at the end of the day, we've got to have people take more responsibility for their own health. I tell people, you know, you're the CEO of your health and you've got to take care of it because nobody else will. We've got to start making a dent on this because if we don't, we don't have enough money to go around for health care otherwise. You are chairman of the Florida delegation. 
Florida is central to any conversation in the country about just about anything. I like to think of us, and yeah, as a Floridian, as kind of the melting pot of America. So in a way, as we start to look at the future, isn't Florida kind of one of those places where we really have to get it right and figure out what it means to get it right, and that that's a lesson that the rest of America can take home for themselves? Yeah. Well, let me just say to you, as a business person, what happens in Washington is a huge deal. You kind of get a sense they're either with you or they're not with you. We've had a great governor as it relates to Florida. has done a very good job. And I think you see the difference between the governance between Florida and New York or Florida and California. A lot of these different states you know, are run by people that are more with the unions and trial lawyers and things of that nature. But again, we've had a, a very good run in Florida. It's only going to get better. I'm very bullish about it. And many times we find a way, Democrats and Republicans, to work together on issues that we can make a difference for Florida. Well, Vern, I encourage everyone who's listening to this and viewing this to, one, of course, see Max's film, the four-minute condensed version of your life, and to understand that the American dream is alive and well in people like you who cared enough and worked hard enough to make it happen. And by example, I think you give a ray of hope to everyone out there that they also can be a part of it all. Well, Adam, it's great seeing you. You have been a mentor to me as well over the years and and been very successful in your profession. And I look forward to working with you going forward. Same here. Take care, Brian. Don't miss future episodes by following us on Apple, Spotify, or other podcast platforms. Or go to the YouTube channel where you can subscribe for free.